Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. Get it on iTunes, get it on Stitcher, or get it on pulphockey.com. Thanks for uh, tuning in, and for, thanks for the reviews on iTunes, and thanks for the nice words. Rate it also. Appreciate it. Ferraro's not on the podcast anymore, but he's still helping us out. Ferraro20 is the code to save yourself money at 2UNDER, the number 2 UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. And a lot of NHL guys are rocking two under, and so should you. So please check it out. Use the code Ferraro20 to save yourself money. Also, too, are you fumbling around with old-school hockey whiteboards that won't erase? Are you tired of drawing plays over plexiglass? The PowerPlay whiteboard from Righty Board is the first portable, restickable hockey whiteboard that sticks to virtually any surface. Stick them to the rink glass at practice, peel it off, slap it up in the locker room, etc., etc. 15% off RightyBoards.com. Use the code PULP uh, when you go there. And that's uh, patented foam technology that makes installation removing a breeze. All right, thanks for, uh, thanks for supporting Righty Board and 2-Under. With me on the line, former NHL player for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, among others, uh, 600 games played in the league, and now uh, uh, working at the NHL Network and Sportsnet as a main analyst, Mike Johnson. What's up, Mike? How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time for this. And uh, um, Ferraro helped us out. And I thought you, you guys, and, and you know, obviously you were at TSN, but Sportsnet and TSN guys, I, I, like to see, I like to see the still friends. That's very nice to see. Yeah, there's still lots of love, yeah. And if it's good enough for Ray, it's good enough for me. And <laughs> um, Ray and I had the same job, or still have the same job. But, yeah. uh, you know, we... We did the same thing at TSN for the five years that I was there. So we uh, we were more friends than, than even colleagues because we didn't cross paths very often. Yeah. Maybe trade deadline day, we sat beside each other on the panel. But that was about it because we were both calling games. And so we, uh, yeah. we didn't work together. We just socialized together. Did uh, did he ever trip you on the ice? Oh, yeah, probably. Probably. Too small, I couldn't hear him. Because <laughs> um, apparently you know he was world to... class. Yeah, he was world class. He was. He was. <laughs> Listen. You don't play as long as he did uh, and be as good as he was at his size without having a bit of a chip, <laughs> right, a, right. a bit of chip on your shoulder. So sure. he was always uh, angry and playing mad and involved emotionally, and uh, it's, it's probably what made him a good player. I tried to stay away from that. I didn't want to rile anybody up. I just wanted to leave me alone so I could play. Right, right, exactly. Uh, we'll get into some, uh, some of your career with Sportsnet, NTSN, and, of course, the NHL Network, too. In a little bit, but the big news um, that happened yesterday: Dion Phaneuf traded. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Maple Leaf fan, so follow it closely. Traded uh, with the Senators. Do you think Cowan, Greening, or McCulloch are they ever? Will they be with the Leafs in the future? Do you think like any of these guys can stay with the team and, and possibly build with them, or are they more looking like I think McCulloch's contract is up at the end of uh, next year, and Greening also. Cowan maybe he's had a rough year, but maybe they'll try to make something out of him. Or do you think this was really just strictly, hey, we can we can we can dump Dion, we can dump that contract. I think he's been playing all right, but um, what's your take on the trade and what the Leafs got back? 
I, I think it, it was more we're, we're not going to dub Dion because he was playing well this year, maybe right. the best year in a couple uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so it's not like he had no value to the Leafs on his on the roster. And he was the captain, and there is a lot of responsibility and pressure that he dealt with that mm-hmm. uh, now somebody else is going to have to in Toronto. So they're going to miss having him around the locker room and having him on the ice. But as far as what they got back, um, I think all three guys, their contracts expire after next season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't anticipate Milan McCulloch being around beyond next year. And, in fact, if they could ever get him healthy and trade him along again, they probably would mm-hmm. because he might be a guy that has value, even though he's out with a, a broken hand, I think, right now. Right. Um, you know, Into the playoffs as a depth guy, he probably would have value to a good team. Colin Greening, you know, he's in the minors right now for a reason. Uh, he might be able to play in Toronto for the rest of this year, but I don't think he's really part of their future plans, and they probably will just have to eat that salary going forward. The wild card is Jared Cowan, mm-hmm. and he was picked in the first round. He was picked high. There was moments when it looked like he was going to develop into something pretty good, uh, but there's also been moments where it looks like he has played – the way that a player who is in and out of lineup plays. Mm-hmm. And his foot speed is, I think, always going to be a question mark. Uh, his skating ability, and, and, and really when he's lost his confidence, it, his decision-making then becomes an issue. And he's prone to turnovers and mistakes and bad reads. And um, So if they can rehabilitate him and turn him into a functional player, that would be a bonus. I don't know if they're counting on it, right. but um, the Senators were willing to dump him as dead salary, not as an asset to help um, make a trade. It was more you have to take his contract uh, because we don't want it anymore. So I, I don't think any of the guys have a, a real place in the uh, two, three, four-year horizon of Toronto Maple Leafs. Right. Maybe Cowan if things work out, but unlikely. Mm-hmm. It's really the second rounder. It's really uh, the prospect of uh, Lidstrom or um, if, he is, if, he, if he turns into something – and mostly, it's the flexibility that clearing out that salary yeah. uh, provides the Leafs. So they've cleared the deck, and they have with getting rid of Kessel and Clarkson and Fanoff and those long-term contracts and obligations. So they have flexibility going forward. Now they just the hard part starts, and they have to fill it with really good players, which, yeah, is, uh, right. which is obviously easier said than done. Yeah, and a second rounder is—I mean, that's legit. That's a nice pick. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and who knows? I mean, Ottawa will likely be a middle of the pack team, uh, even if they make the playoffs next year. So you're, you know, you're talking a top fifteen, right. eighteen pick, uh, or in the second round, so top forty-five guy, forty-eight guy. That's that's not bad at all. And, and a lot of those second rounders, the more you have, the more you have a chance of hitting them. And I think that's really what it is for the sure, league. Yeah, uh, they keep acquiring all these draft picks, and we know stats and history will have shown us that. If you're outside even like the top five picks in a draft, um, there's real question marks as to what kind of player you'll become and or even if you'll become an NHL mm-hmm. regular at all. So the more times you get up to the plate, the more times you have of hitting a home run or maybe even grabbing a double. So they're going to keep getting those draft picks and hope that the amateur scouts can find, find some pretty good players in, in the second, third, fourth rounds. I was just happy that a real hockey trade happened too. Although, you know, like you, you said, you know, these guys don't – uh, fit in the Leafs' plans necessarily at the end of the winter contracts expire, but it is still a hockey trade. They took all the enough salary, so it's <laughs> that part was good. And nine players with yeah. no move clauses and all the <laughs> yeah, rest of yeah. it. I mean, kudos to the GMs, and who I think at this point, well, it, you know, we understand while contracts and roster spots and salary caps are all 
are all assets that they incorporate into their decision-making. I think mm-hmm. a lot of guys are hesitant or almost afraid to make trades with big-time NHL players because, like the Johansson-Jones trade, mm-hmm. if one guy turns out to be great and the other one does not, then, then that's kind of a mark on your resume. So mm-hmm. it's easier not to do it than put yourself out there uh, to something that maybe not might not work out in your favor. So um, good for, for Brian Murray and, and Lou Lamorello for <laughs> saddling yeah. up and, and, and pulling the trigger. Uh, you know what's crazy though is okay. So I'm a, I'm a pretty big Leaf fan. I watch them, and it's, it's like I like what they're doing, and I think they're moving along the right path. And Babcock has uh, surprised me, like he's a big difference. And I I never really thought a coach could. And you've certainly been coached. Well, we'll get into you getting coached by the great one, but um, hmm. you know, so uh, everything's everything's been good as far as me sitting on the couch as a Leaf fan. But here's the thing that that drives me a little nuts with you guys in the media, and, and not you necessarily. But here's so, Phil and Dion are coming up to be unrestricted. They were both given. Uh, Phil was eight eight million for eight years, I think. Dion was seven yep. million for seven. Um, yep. And look, they were both kind of um, maybe paid a little too much, but they were coming up to unrestricted. If you're Nonis, and look, Nonis didn't do a great job. We know that they're burning all of his signings and you know are burning through all of his guys that that he did. Like, if you're known as you're like, well, these guys are going to walk. I'm going to get nothing. They are good players. I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't understand this. And this goes back to even Matt Sundin, who you played with. They're they're good players. People want these guys. And really, like, okay, they were a little overpaid, but that's kind of what happens when you get to be unrestricted. Like, I guess my whole point is, Mike, is like, what was known as supposed to do? These guys are great players or, or you know, Phil, anyway, is a great player. Dion's a very, very good number two or number three. And, yeah, they were overpaid, but that's kind of what you had to do. Or I mean, what do you think? Yeah, and and that's the predicament that all GMs find themselves, right. especially as the unrestricted free agency age drops lower. It's a lot easier when you have a 30-year-old to say, you know, I can't, I can't give you seven years. And it's an easier line to tow uh, publicly within the organization with the GM's boss and say, we can't do that. Right. But when, you know, when Phil Kessel's 26 mm-hmm. and he's coming off a, a point per game season, a top five score in the league, well, it's, it's difficult to say, you know what, I don't want to go eight years. I want to get, go eight million because you know that somebody else would have given them those contracts. Right. So I understand the predicament um, exactly. that GMs find themselves in. But at the same time, you have to know your group and your players better than anyone else. And if you determine that the team as they're currently constituted with Dion and Phil as the leaders um, are not going to be able to get you where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And, and, may, and maybe that was the misread. Maybe that was the big misread. But if that's sure. what you can determine, um, then sometimes you have to make the harder choice. And, and you don't give them the term and the dollars that they want. Um, it's tricky. It's, it's a hard yeah. thing. I mean, you saw, I mean, you see, you just saw Winnipeg this week. Um, keep Justin Bufflin the five years, maybe right. gave him a bit more money, but got his term down. They're, they're towing a hard line with their captain, Andrew Ladd, and, and might have him walk away. Yep. Um, you know, David Backus in St. Louis hasn't signed the extension. There are prominent players that teams are, are, are towing a harder line with than what the Leafs did with those two guys. But it is a, it's, a, it's, it's such a tough spot for GMs yeah. because they were coming off, I think, of the playoff run on the abbreviated season and, you know, right. obviously a heartbreaking loss to Boston. But you thought, 
this is a team that is building towards something, not the team that is kind of mm-hmm. bottom out and cratered over the last couple of seasons. <laughs> right, so right. Um, it, it's it's a tough spot, but that's why GMs are GMs. You got to make tough calls, and it's easy for it's almost easier for me. And, and I don't know what you're saying. The media would then jump all over guys, yeah, general managers. If you let them walk away for nothing, you say, "How could you lose that talent for all you gave up for Phil Kessel? You gave up Tyler Sagan mm-hmm. and Dougie Hamilton, right. and all those draft picks, and all the and everything else." Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I guess that's what you get paid for, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's what you get paid for, right, and and, right. and it's and it's and tough decisions have to be made, and you got to read your team better than anyone else. And mm-hmm. it appears that Nonis misread his <laughs> yeah. players and his team. Well, I, yeah, because they, were, you know, the mindset is not. People have to remember the mindset is not what they're doing now. The mindset was we're going for it. We lost to Boston in seven. These are mm-hmm. our guys, you know. Um, Phil was. Um, how was your relationship with Phil? Like Ferraro said, like. You know, in the pregame meetings, he was hilarious, and he got along with him good. And um, they, you know, he's a funny guy. But at the same time, he, I, I think, and again, a guy from the couch, I think he was just badly miscast as his leader. You know, he's a nice secondary scorer. You know, on a deep team. Uh, but he just was miscast as this this franchise guy, and and he was difficult. The end of the end, the media was getting on him. How was your your dealings with him? Uh, mine were pretty good. Yep. Uh, you know, Phil comes across, especially when you first meet him as a member of the media, that he is, <laughs> he is guarded yeah. and he's, you know, he's not uh, going to sit down and talk to you for half an hour because that's not who he is. That's right. not what he wants to do. But, um, you know, I live in Toronto, so sure. I managed to meet and see Phil in, in non-hockey situations mm-hmm. or we bump into each other at a restaurant or out at night or whatever it might be at an event. And, and he's a funny, he's a funny cat. He's a funny dude. To be around, yeah. Um, but um, and and he was a leading talent on the team, but he didn't have a leading personality, right? Uh, and that's not to suggest guys didn't like him. Guys enjoyed having him around the room. A guy behind closed doors, guys liked having him around, but just uh, he was not going to be the guy that um, embraced everything that Toronto requires out of their right. best players. And, and be a vocal stand-up guy in the media representing the rest of his teammates. He was a guy, when he got to the rink, he was a scorer. Mm-hmm. He prided himself and identified himself as that and really felt, I think, in many ways, that's all he had, that's all he had right. to do. So if I score, if I get my 35 and 75 points, then – I've done what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and in many ways, he has. Right. Leave me alone, that's, that's everybody. Right. 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 Leave right. me alone. I score goals. I get points. Mm-hmm. Don't get on me about back-checking. Don't get on me about my, my, my positioning. Don't get on me about my leadership. Don't even get on me about right. how our team's doing. I'm here to score, and I do. <laughs> so I think in some ways he – now, you know, you'd like your $8 million player and your best player to, to maybe pride himself in more than that. Right. But that's who Phil was. And, again, you have to know that. When you trade for him, yep. and you have to certainly know that when you sign him to that extension. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I guess if you, going back to, to your playing career, he was Matt's in the terms of the most highly skilled player on the team and the star of the team. But Matt's, I imagine, was everything you want. And again, I'm, this is a guy from the couch. Matt was everything you wanted in a captain, in the best player, everything else, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, Matt was certainly the iconic talent that uh, that, that Phil might have been for Toronto. But mm-hmm. uh, Matt, I think, appreciated um, being the captain and the responsibility that came with it. I remember when Matt was 
was the captain. Uh, you know, he's replacing Doug Gilmore, right. which is almost impossible for how much uh, Dougie was loved in Toronto for, for those runs that he made in the early 90s. And I remember Matt talked to, to Borja Salming about it, you know, another iconic mm-hmm. Swedish player, and, yeah. and asked him, what do you think? Should I do this? And, and Borja said, absolutely. There is, there is no greater position, no greater honor than being the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, yeah, it's going to be hard, and uh, there'll be moments that are, are difficult, but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to pride yourself on being that guy. And, but, again, that's Matt's personality. Like, I don't know if you can fault Phil or Dion, if mm-hmm. we're going on both of them, sure. for not being Doug Gilmore or Matt Sundin. Like, you are who you are. And you can be that and be a great player and get paid a lot of money, and that's okay. I don't know if that, you know, they got so right. much criticism through the media for for being awkward or not uh, charismatic or mm-hmm. or not guys you want to rally. That's not their fault. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, they, they are who they are. They're yeah. good people, yeah, normal yeah. guys. Right. And and so it's not their fault. It's not Dion's fault they have to be captain. It's not Phil's fault that they traded first-round picks for him. They just go and they want to play and be and be who they're going to be and and maybe the media and the fans could be a little bit more tolerant uh, for guys just being who they are. Now we all love our hockey players to yeah be exactly when when Wendell Clark or Gilmore or what right yeah yeah, yeah hold on yeah. the ice and off yeah but but not everyone's like that and and you can't expect and nor should you expect mm. anyone people to be who they're not no matter how much money you pay them. Did you think it was, and again, this is just my opinion, uh, Dion gets to the team. I think that was a good trade, obviously, with Calgary. He gets mm-hmm. to the team, and then next thing you know, Burke is like, he took control of the stereo. He's our captain. And uh, <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember that? Gilles, I remember the stereo control. You know, listen, he's not the only one. I remember Matt Hendricks just got into Edmonton a couple of years ago. Right. And that was one of the things Dallas Aiken said. Oh, yeah, he's in the room. He runs the stereo. I'm like, who cares? Dude, the stereo is, is the key. Whatever. I got my own headphones on. Leave me alone. Should I be captain? You should have um, ran the stereo more, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If only I would have been, I would have been, I would have been a captain. One of the teams, right, but, right. But um, it was weird. It was I, weird. I think, yeah. I, yeah, I think that the, the premise is, is, is correct in that um, it was a good trade. You look at the talent brought in from Calgary with Dion and the one sent to Calgary back. And it was a good trade. They got the best player who played a long time. But I think because the Leafs at that point were devoid of, of a leader and a best player and be, to validate uh, Dion and the scope of that trade, right? Um, I think Brian Burke probably put the captaincy on him prematurely. Maybe maybe Dion would have been better equipped a year in or something right, like right. that. Or maybe he never would have been properly equipped at all and it would have been better off going to somebody else. But um he was their best player and he was a high profile guy and brought in by a high profile general manager who wanted to uh to, to reinforce that he made the right call and mm-hmm. bring in Dion Pinoff in and they gave him the captaincy and and I don't know I, I don't know of any person in the history of the league who's ever said we want you to be the captain, and yeah. they say, you know, I'm not so sure. I don't think so. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I'm good. Right. I'll, I won't wear a letter. I'll be, I'll be an assistant. Like, I, I don't know of anyone who would do that. And so, you, again, you can't fault Dion for being the captain. Yeah, I did. I did they one. asked him. He said yes. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Yeah. I did one of these with Clark Gillies. He wore it for two years and then said, I don't want it anymore. But that's, that's about the only guy oh, well, I've ever heard. Go. Yeah, after two years, he was oh. like, nah, it's too much work. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Well, um, there you go. I mean, that did, was bar- I was barely alive when he was uh, playing there in the early yeah. 80s. But, 
you know, it just it rarely happens. Yeah. And, and it's uh, and, and so yeah, I don't know if you could fault Dion for that either. Did you? Uh, you're a Toronto guy. Uh, played for the Leafs. Came out of Bowling Green. Did you? And getting back to Phil, maybe not so much Dion. Did you mind playing in Toronto? Did was it a pain in the ass? Did you love it? Um, you know, obviously, like I said, you, fans, family, um, the media. Um, you know, Mike Johnson. Um, he's on the third line today at practice. Oh my God! You know, things like that. Like, did, did, that, did that bother you? Were you pumped to go to Tampa in a sense, or or, or what? Uh, I loved it. I loved everything that it okay. entailed. Yeah. Uh, again, I have to defend. You know. It was a different time. Internet was just starting. There were no blogs. There were no. Right. There was one sports station, one radio sports station. There was no smartphones. There was no Twitter. There was no access. Right. So uh, certainly, uh, I loved. It. I loved playing for the Leafs. I loved living in my hometown. I loved having my family, my friends along for the ride. For the most part, I did pretty well. Probably exceeded people's expectations of myself. Um, and, and for the team, did pretty well as well after mm-hmm. my first year. So. Uh, I got a lot of the upside. I didn't have to deal with a lot of the downside that maybe some of the guys that are playing for the Leafs right now have mm-hmm. to deal with. Uh, but yeah. uh, but there's no question. Uh, it's it's There is a lot more noise in that city, even then, but right. especially now, than, than in other places. And, yeah, like my mom would be listening to the radio station and, and would hear about me off the power play or, um, you know, coaches' comments or, or right. columnist article about me underperforming and they would be so bothered by it and and uh mm-hmm. you know you're gonna have a lot more of that in toronto but the team was pretty good and i was doing moderately okay for myself so i loved everything about being a maple leaf i love living downtown oh cool i love being yeah. out and about i love going to the gardens i love being part of the air Canada center all of it yeah. um i wouldn't uh i wouldn't have wanted to start anywhere else and when I was traded, I was not happy at all. Okay, yeah. I was, I was uh, devastated. The strong word, but I was, I was upset. Sure. I was not happy. I was disappointed um, to leave Toronto, to leave a good team, to leave the only team I'd ever known. And um, yeah, no, I, I would have stayed in Toronto as long as they'd have me. <laughs> Um, hey, let's get into your uh, uh, broadcasting career a little bit. You're lucky in a sense, like. Um, you, you didn't retire. You weren't retired for too long until uh, you got the job with TSN. I think. And me being a Winnipeg guy, I think uh, the first time I saw you were doing the Jet games. Um, how did that work? How did that appro- – who approached you? Did you want to do it? Were you looking for that? Because, um, like I said, you, you've stepped right in, and you're, you're good at it. And it, you really didn't have to, like, wander around for, like, a decade wondering what was going to go on with you. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, fortunate timing, uh, like a lot of things in life, uh, was, was evident in my transition. I mean, I stopped playing. And I kind of took the summer off, the summer of Mike, and I played 100 rounds of golf and yeah. didn't do very much. But, you know, my kids were at the age where they are going back to school in the fall, and um, there's only so much golf and tennis I can play and right. CrossFit classes I can do. i got to find something else to do with my life. So, um, you know, I put out some, some feelers as far as um, working in the media. I'd done a couple guest gigs when I was playing, and I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, and I thought it might be something fun to try. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily as a career, but something to just – fill the time while you figure out whatever else you want to do. But um, there wasn't a ton of response initially. I was, and so I, you know, I dusted off my resume. I mean, I have a a degree in finance and I was ready to go work on Bay street and just uh, in a, in a financial company. And, um, and so that's where I was ready to start in that fall. And I was getting accredited as, you know, 
uh, taking all my courses that I needed to take to be a, a licensed broker. And um, I walked into, I think it was actually Darren Dreger was supposed to do a radio show on one Saturday with Rod Black, and he had to cancel last minute. So he offered up me as a last-minute replacement. I walked down to Wayne Gretzky's restaurant, did a two-hour radio show. Um, I guess I didn't do terribly. They asked me to <laughs> right. do it again. Right. And in Wayne Gretzky, they started hosting um, an XM NHL Network I remember that. radio show called yeah. The Power Play that was kind of simulcast on the NHL Network from right. four to six. And uh, they were just starting that up. So I started doing that for a little bit because, again, they needed local people that sure. were willing to come down for basically free <laughs> to do it in the <laughs> afternoon. So I started doing that. And from there, uh, I was offered in a spot to work at the NHL Network Studios, which shared a building what? at TSN. Mm-hmm. And then that got me into TSN's building, and from there, um, I just started working a little bit more here and there, here and there. Mm-hmm. And as far as my transition to calling games, I'd probably been doing studio stuff for part of a year, and one of my bosses there, Paul Graham, thought, you know what, maybe we'll let you try this. He threw me out to do an Allen Cup game in Fort oh, John, British Columbia. <laughs> and it was I've like been the there. Bentley I've General. been there. <laughs> I had never been there. It was a long way to go. Yes, and yes. I had no idea what I was doing. And Isn't that I like did a, one of those games. Right. Isn't that like a senior? And, uh, it's a senior and, hockey yeah, team, little, right? Right. Yeah it's, yeah, it's like it's like if I was if I wanted to play competitive hockey now, right. 40, <laughs> right. I would play there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, there's ex OHL players in June and mm-hmm. and uh, some minor league pro guys and a couple NHL guys, but not many. Right. Um, so right. that yeah, so that's my first game I called, sure. and then this is the kind of break we we're talking about. So I was. I wanted to try to get more studio work at TSN, and I was ready to be the studio guy for the World Championships that year. Mm-hmm. I think it was I don't maybe six years ago. I can't remember what year it was. Yeah. And Dave Reed was going to be the color guy over in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so the tournament started on Friday. I remember I was playing golf first day of the season on the Tuesday, and I get a call on the third hole. And it's one of my boss at TSN saying, Dave Reed just took the job as a general manager of the Peterborough Peets. He wants to stay in Canada prepping for his next year with Peterborough. Um, and, and he can do the studio stuff. Can you do the game calling? And I'm like, <laughs> I've never done that before. Yeah. And I got to go to Germany tomorrow. I don't, I haven't paid any attention to who's right. on Belarus. I don't right. know what's going on. Right. So right. I just jumped into that, did that one year. And then, um, and then the next year, Pierre Maguire, he left to go to NBC. And so spots mm-hmm. opened up. TSN got the lead or the, the Habs regional rights. And then all I was off and running, just kind of wow. doing everything at TSN, calling games and, and studio stuff. So yeah, it was, uh, a, a lot of breaks and things falling my way and, and opportunities presenting themselves that let me, let me start. Yeah, a real couple of fortunate breaks, right? Like, yeah, exactly along the yeah, way that where yeah. you were just uh, hanging out. I remember that XM show. Um, who was the host? Uh, it was uh, Scott Lachlan. Who Scott still Lachlan. is on yeah. the radio. Yeah, that's right. Scott Lachlan was the he was the host, and me and Scotty would sit down and and, yeah. and banter about for a couple hours every afternoon. I was even my wife and I were even at Gretzky's when it was going on one time. I don't know if you were there, but yeah, exactly. We were like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, hey, I think that's an XM show. Um, yeah, but we were like little zoo zoo animals. Everyone yeah. walked by. We had the lights on us, and people were like, 
they show up at Gretzky's not to be part of that show. They just want a beer and a plate yeah. of wings, and they're wondering what do these two guys do with headsets on. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, it was fun, and it gave you lots of time and lots of reps, which are always a good thing when you're starting. So when you're working, you said you did the Habs regional, and then I think you did the Jets mm-hmm. regional. You don't live in the cities, right? You just go. No, to, you I, do I always games. traveled. I right. lived in Toronto yeah, because I was I was also doing a lot of studio stuff right. as well. And I'm from Toronto. I was never yeah. going to move to yeah. Montreal or to Winnipeg to, to I, be their guys. I kind of shared the Jets duties with Brian Engblom the first year. So right. we both probably did 25 Jets games. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time at that uh, the Delta there downtown oh, the Delta. in my first year, yeah. uh, walking across the parking lot to, to the MTS Center. So, uh, you know, I'd fly out the night before the game and, yeah. and do the game and fly home the day after. And, you know, yeah. traveling gets to be a bit of a grind, but... Um, I yes. tell you what. Tell me about the it. First couple of years in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. one of my one of one of the best broadcasting experience I ever had. The oh, energy cool. in yeah. that building, and this little bit smaller, the lower roof, the passionate fans who were so happy to have the Jets back in Winnipeg. Um, it was amazing game experience. I bet. to feel the energy in that in that rink was was always fun. Yeah, at least you got that Starbucks down there in the Delta. Right down. I just I just stayed there. Like I went out for the summer to go visit my mom, and I stayed there for four nights. So um, that's yeah. o- that's only after the renovation, which was only completed last year. So when I first oh, okay. got there, there right. was no Starbucks. Listen, there was no Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. You, Never mind. You couldn't use an iPad. You had to have like a laptop to hardwire in. So there was uh, it was it was in transition. It's much yeah. nicer now. Right. Right. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it, and uh, thanks to our guys for coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's Power Play Whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the Power Play board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front, removable, long-lasting air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every rink, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these Power Play whiteboards and check them out. Use the code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your Power Play board. All right, back to the show. So you're doing uh, the TSN uh, deal, and of course, uh, in, a, in a shocking move, I think for a lot of people, uh, Sportsnet Rogers Sportsnet uh, Rogers gets the uh, the NHL contract for 12 years for eight bajillion dollars, um, and they're going to need guys. So obviously, I imagine just a briefcase full of money comes your way. Is that really or, or the opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity to go national, maybe. What 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 made you jump sides? Uh, yeah, well, I wish it was a briefcase full of money. That would be a much much cooler story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It, yeah, I think everyone was surprised at, at the way that the rights negotiation turned out. And um, you know, I definitely enjoyed my time at TSN, and, mm-hmm. and certainly appreciated all the opportunities I was given there. Um, and I'd done the national games as well, but with losing the rights, um, and then with Ray, um, you know, taking a prominent role at TSN, right. you know, trying to carve out the right kind of schedule. For myself, doing all the things I, I was hoping to do, we just we just couldn't quite mm-hmm. uh, come to come to agreement on it. Uh, we you know we talked about it, and they knew I I enjoyed being there. I think they enjoyed me, had me around. We just couldn't quite find the right fit. And so once you turn your head around, well, what what Mike Rogers look like? Um, you know, the prospect of a twelve years. It's an amazing opportunity to grow and um, and, and do some things and do national games and do playoffs and. Yeah, um, some of the stuff that that that, I, that would only be available at Rogers, and so um, 
you know, I, I made a, a, a tough decision to, to leave TFN and go to Rogers, but I've, I've been really happy with it. They've been great to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the schedule has been um, everything I was hoping it would be, and, and the jobs and the and the and the games I've gotten to call, and right. and I love the idea of being able to call the whole league. Sure, um, you know, if you're you know, as opposed to you know being primarily a regional guy where you're doing whether it's Toronto or Winnipeg or Ottawa or right. Calgary, whatever it might be. Yep calling 40 games of the same team. I'd rather call 40, 40 games of all the teams and, and just seeing everyone and being able to go with a fresh perspective to, to every game. Um, I enjoy that. And, I, and, of course, doing the playoffs is awesome. I mean, I want, I want to have the opportunity to, yep. to, to be there for the pinnacle when, when working is the most fun, when the games matter and, and the cup's on the line and all those different things. So, um, yeah, so I made a decision to go, and, and I haven't looked back. It's been great. Um, it's been great for me. And my family, and uh, and hey, I'm really happy where I'm at. Um, my my real job uh, covering the sport of Supercross and Motocross. I was a I was a racer, never on the level of of, of these guys. I was an Allen Cup dirt bike racer, let's call it. And uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, I got a job as a mechanic uh, for for 11 years on on some of the best race teams out there in the world. And then I transitioned into this media job. So. I have to report on these racers and they go through slumps and they, you know, they struggle and they, they, um, you know, different times I have to be a bit critical of them. And some dudes that, you know, I used to have a pretty good relationship with, uh, don't aren't necessarily fans because I'll write that, Hey, this guy's struggling a little bit, or, you know, this guy's not living up to his deal and et cetera, et cetera, stuff that you have to do too. Um, as, as a color guy, how do you take that? I mean, there's still guys playing that you played with that I'm sure you're buddies with yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, how is that for you? How is that line of, of uh, walking that line of trying to uh, not piss off your buddies, uh, call it fair, but still, I guess some of them, I mean, they're going to get butt hurt. That happens, right? It, it certainly does. And it's something I'm obviously completely okay with now. But when you first start, mm-hmm. there's no question whether you're in studio or calling a game. Uh, there's a bit of a transition there. And, and the hardest ones are where you're like, whether it's someone you played with or someone you played against, and I'm freshly retired, and, right. and I have to go on air and say, that's a bad play <laughs> from Jonathan Taves. Yeah. And, and I can only imagine what Jonathan Taves would be thinking if he heard that saying, but, Mike, I played against you. Like, who are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. I am ten times the player you ever were, <laughs> a thousand times the player you ever were, so would you just shut it? Right. Because you are, you know. Right. But – so there is that that element to it, but once you realize, you kind of got to push through that and get past that. And um, the way I always approach it, and I still do now, is anything I would say on air, I would say to the player's face. Mm-hmm. And he might not agree with my position, but I would feel that I could defend whatever I said. Well, I would have good reason. And so if I say that's a bad play by Sidney Crosby, um, if Sidney didn't like what I said, and he might not, but if he ever sat down and we talked about it, I'd be able to explain uh, with good conviction why I felt that that was a bad play. Mm-hmm. And we may agree to disagree, but I would be able to leave saying, okay, well, this is what I saw. I, I yeah. didn't just say it to right. be gratuitous. This is what I saw. This is why I said it. And I would think that um, they would probably respect that, that, that opinion, even if they don't agree with it. But yeah, you know, I've had text messages with former teams, and I've had exchanges in dress rooms. And okay, so um, yeah, so it's, it's happened to you. Being yeah. pleased with, yeah, not being pleased with what I said, or right. or you know, you've changed your media. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's my job, and um, you know, if you, if you didn't let him get around you, I wouldn't have anything to say. So, um, you know, it, it's part of the thing, but it's 
you, you get over it pretty quick, right. and I don't, I don't, I don't bat an eye about it. And and in fact, I often enjoy if a player has a problem with me because I'm curious to to, right. to hear what they think and why they react the way they did. And if a player's got an issue, I want to know because I'm like, well, what did I say that that would have tweaked you? And was I correct and fair in saying it? And you know, I've had mm-hmm. that kind of conversation for five or ten minutes with a guy, mm-hmm. and we often leave. Um, maybe at least understanding where each other are coming from right. a little bit more. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the job, but uh, you get fun. over it pretty quick. Yeah. And if you, if you believe in what you're doing, and I don't, I don't say inflammatory things for sound bites. I, yeah. uh, I, I try to keep my analysis to what I see and what I think about what they're doing on the ice. And if I do that, then um, they yeah. may not like it, but I think they would respect it. Yeah, I think sometimes like there's some things obviously that I, I'm friends with these racers and, and uh, like I said, I was I was a mechanic with them. There's things you know about them off the the, the track and off away from the rink. Sure. That maybe you're like that guy's just a, a, a dick. Like, but you you know, let's keep it to what you see on the ice. You know, and and, I, and I'm the same way. There's a couple guys where I'm like, look, I, I kind of know that you're not that cool of a dude, but whatever. Let me just deal with how you're racing. You know, and and you're the same way. I guess you got to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, I, for sure. And I mean, you you hear rumors, you hear innuendo, you know stuff for fact. Whether yeah, what kind of guy the guy might be, or what kind of what other reasons he might, there may be in his life that yeah. uh, that might be responsible for him struggling in in the moment or doing well in the moment. But unless that has been made public by the guy, yeah, I'm not talking about it. Right. That's his business. That's his business. So unless it's public knowledge already, I'm not, I'm going to leave it alone and. Um, and um, you know, I'll talk about why I see what I see on the ice. When you played, uh, how was your relationship with the media, uh, Steve Simmons and these dudes? Did, did you did you you know not <laughs> like the media? Did you you laugh when I said Simmons? But I, that was the only guy I could think of that would be covering you back then. I'm, I'm for, yeah, sure yeah, that, or, or Damian Cox, Damian Cox, right? Yeah, yeah Damian Cox. So, um, how was your deal dealing with the media when you played? And then how, did it give you a new appreciation now, or were you? Were you cool back then with what those guys' job had to be? Um, I, I think I was cool with it. And, and again, I, I mean, I, I don't believe players when they say I don't read anything. And I don't believe players when they say it doesn't bother me. You can right. say whatever you want. I don't hear it. Yeah. Um, but I will say this. Because of the different times, like I didn't get newspapers delivered to my apartment. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I wasn't reading the columns on a daily basis, unless there's a paper lying around the dress room. I didn't right. read it. Right. And I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't logging on the internet because it took 25 minutes to load each page. So <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. you couldn't read what they were saying anyways. I didn't have the patience for it. Yeah. Um, so I think I was, I enjoyed the media. I, mm-hmm. I had no problem talking to guys. And um, I, I think I always was open to the idea of having a conversation. Right. But um, I, I remember my rookie season, and I, I think I've told Damien this, and I think I was, I think I was leading the rookies in scoring and um, surprising you, myself as probably everybody else. And I remember in maybe February, Damian wrote one of his one of his pieces in the, I think the Toronto Star saying how I am letting the team down because I'd gone ten games and gotten three points. And I remember thinking, "Come on, man! <laughs> I'm leading the team. I'm leading the rookies in scoring. I'm second on the team. Like, right. what do you expect out of me? I'm not that good. <laughs> like, if you think I, if you, I'm letting people down, you're you're sorely mistaken. I, right." I, Whatever I'm doing is just bonus and gravy. So um, I, I remember that article specifically, and um, you know, you kind of get stunned by it a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's just doing his job and he's entitled to his opinion. And I probably appreciate that more now, yeah, or even more later in my career. But I remember my first year when you you'd read the odd little line like that. It would 
take a little bite out of you mm-hmm. uh, and, and it would affect you a little bit. But yep. for the most part, I didn't really pay too much attention because, yep. um, you know, I was too lazy to order a newspaper to my house. Are there guys that you deal with now that, you know, because I, I, I watch you quite a bit and I do feel like you're one of those guys. You're not scared to say there's some guys uh, I'm just left wanting more uh, when I when I listen to them. I'm like, hey, tell me something. You know what I mean? But it kind of it's just their style. Whatever. It's not a big bad thing. But I feel like you're a little bit more of a guy that's like, you know, bad play by that guy. He'll he'll have to redeem himself next shift or, or whatever. You'll point it out, you know, um, and you've played the game. So it's not like, you know, you're not not coming from some place that you don't know about. So, but are there are, mm. but so are there, there are guys that, you know, you've kind of just, that aren't fans of you, I guess, that, that just really just think that, you know, whatever, you're, they don't like your style. Is, is that kind of how it goes? Uh, yeah. I mean, of course there are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would be, I would be right. kidding myself to think that everyone, whether you're a fan <laughs> or a manager or a player or, or anybody, uh, everyone would like what I do. I mean, that would be um, a little. A gratuitous uh, belief in myself. So, yeah, there's no question. Um, I, but I always wonder, and, and I, I mean this, like, I don't know how much guys hear when you call a game unless yeah, yeah. their buddies are telling them. I well, don't think agents. guys are PVRing the game right. and, and going back and listening and saying, damn, that Mike Johnson, what a, he's full of whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. I just don't think they hear that much because they're playing. So, um, yeah. in, unless someone tells them about it or unless they hear it in a clip on the highlights mm-hmm. or in their video sessions um i'm not i'm not so sure but um but again it's, it's, if, it, I'm gonna it, say, if i if i'm going to say someone made a bad play yeah i bet that player if he's got any kind of sense of hockey would know he did a bad play right, right. and he would know that what i'm saying is likely correct and so he might be mad at me for pointing it out but he's probably more mad at himself for having done it and and so they may not like me personally they may not like my style they may mm-hmm. not like anything about me but um, I think I would hope that, for the most part, the stuff I'm saying, they would probably understand where I'm coming from. It's uh, in, in my sport. It's uh, wives, girlfriends, agents, and family. Hey, I heard you. Yeah, I heard absolutely. You, <laughs> I heard you absolutely. said this. I heard you wrote this, and I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, my god, yeah. no question, no question. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Hey, um, how much, Mike? How much do you? Uh, how much does analytics come into play for you? I'm. Uh, I love the game. I watch the game. I kind of read. I know about PDO and Corsi and all this, and and I see these guys. You know, the the Fanager accounts on Twitter, things like that, where they try to build a perfect team for for Corsi or PDO or whatever. And sometimes I'm like, well, I don't think these guys understand that. And it goes back to a little bit of baseball, where Alex Anthopoulos, the ex Blue Jay GM. It was a big stat guy, and he went last year and kind of put some guys in the room that he said, you know, were more than just stats. And I feel like these guys need to do it too. But how is that balance for you, where you're you're learning about these stats and you're going to use them, but yet you, some of these dudes on Twitter are pretty gnarly, so you kind of like you kind of want to back mm-hmm. away a little bit. So how is it for you? Uh, I am probably uh, more open, and I would like to think slightly more in tune with the the analytics movement, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that may be. Um, I think maybe partly because of my finance math background, I've, been, yep. I've always in, enjoyed the numbers and, and what they mean. And um, and so I think you're right. I think there's a balance to be had in everything. And mm-hmm. I think to, to ignore the numbers and what they're saying is, is naive. And you're probably not doing yourself a, um, uh, you're probably doing yourself a disservice, whether you run a team or doing my job, if you ignore them. At the same time, if you put everything into them yeah. and ignore 
other aspects of putting a team together or things you see on the ice, then you're probably also doing yourself a disservice. So there's a balance to be had, and I try to blend what I see and what I feel and what I know about dressing rooms and all the rest of it with also what the numbers are saying. And I think what I've come about is when you can dig into some of those analytics numbers, if they either confirm what you see and what you think, then that's great because then you have more numbers to support Mm -hmm. what you're feeling and maybe to explain to the viewers um, uh, as evidence as why this guy's playing well because whatever, his scoring chances have gone up and he gets lots of chances because his own entries are the best in the team. Whatever it might be Mm -hmm. that you see and maybe just helps quantify why it is things are going on. Um, And the other side of it is when the numbers don't support what you might what you think you're seeing, mm-hmm. then it forces you to take another exam- a deeper examination. Maybe watch that guy a little more closely and see why your opinion and maybe what the numbers are suggesting don't add up quite as much. And, and, and maybe that leads you to say, yeah, I, I just think the, the numbers are incorrect or the numbers are misrepresenting what I'm, what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that leads you down the road to say, well, you know, maybe there's more to that. Maybe I'm missing some things uh, and thinking he's better than he is. So, I, I like them. I spend probably more time than most that do my job mm-hmm. uh, pecking away on the internet and looking at the computers, and I, I understand the numbers. Uh, my greatest disappointment is that I wasn't, they didn't have these stats when I was around. I want to know, was I a good player in an analytics department? <laughs> I don't know. Um, right. I'd like to think I was, right. but I have no idea. I might have been awful. Uh, in so many areas that I thought I was good at. So uh, I would love to be, right. I would love if they had from the whatever late 90s on yeah. uh, some of these numbers because I would be curious to see how I would stack up. But no, I am, I pay more attention than most. I, I mm-hmm. think I, I, I try to blend them into my, my broadcasts um, when appropriate. Uh, but it's certainly part of what I do, and, and I don't dismiss it at all. A few guys I follow, like Marinson on the Leafs, they're just, you know, they just can't believe that Babcock plays him. He's terrible. He's horrible. His possession numbers are horrible. Basically, he's, he, you know, he should be not in the league, is a lot of what these guys are saying. And then I'm like, okay, all right, I see your point. I'm reading these stats and I'm looking at them. But Mike Babcock thinks he's good. Like Frankie Corrado is not. And he's mm-hmm. at practice during the week. So. You know what I mean? I don't know. At some point, I'm just yeah. like, well, it's Mike Babcock, everybody. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, he's got access to these same numbers that these guys do. And, you know, of course, Kyle Dubas and all that. He's an analytic guy, and they've got an analytic department. Yeah. So on one hand, I just shrug my shoulders and go, well, guys, they, they must know more than you. They must know more than you. <laughs> they, they, they do, for sure, because when you're there every day, mm-hmm. um, you, you have knowledge. That don't, and, and don't kid yourself. Teams are doing things that what we can access publicly on the computer um, is far greater than what we can see. They have guys digging into this that is like proprietary info that right. they're not sharing with anyone. So they may have numbers that we've never even seen mm-hmm. that are letting them make decisions that you're like, I don't get that. But they're, they're not making them haphazardly. They, they know no. what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, you may disagree with what the numbers suggest, but, um, yeah, and yeah. There's, there's always that notion like – of course, Mike Babcock, Kyle Dubas, Brennan Shannon, they would know more than any of us would about their players, you'd like to think. Uh, so, yeah. I, I don't know. That, yeah. that, that, is, that, 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 is, that is absolutely true. And, again, it's all part of trying to take pieces of information from everywhere. And one of those pieces of information is, well, why is Mike Babcock playing them? Right. The, right. The, 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 the benefit I have is that I can ask Mike Babcock that. Yeah. 
when I get to do a Leaf game, I get five or 10, 15 minutes with just me and Mike Babcock, not the other media, yeah. just the broadcaster. So me and my partner um, and our producer, like we get, we get them in the hallway by ourselves to, to maybe ask him that. And I've asked him, about, I've asked, I've asked him specifically about Marincin before and okay. what he sees and why does he play. And, and he has an answer and he thinks he, he's got uh, a little bit more potential than maybe he's shown just yet. Right. Right. How is he to deal with Babcock? He seems like he knows, uh, he plays the media pretty well. He, he, well, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. He kind of. I mean, he knows he knows the game, yep. and he know. Well, one, he's got um, a lot of confidence in himself. <laughs> I've heard that. And, I've heard and, that. Yeah. And maybe with good reason. I mean, he's sure. had great success. And, right. Uh, financially, he's been rewarded for that. So there's no reason why he wouldn't have a lot of confidence. Um, but he controls the dynamic there right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's not uh, the tail is not wagging the dog. Um, he is he is not chasing and courting and um, acquiescing to the media. He mm-hmm. is absolutely doing it on his terms and delivering the messages he wants. So um, I, I think he is – you know he would have had to have known what it was going to be like coming to Toronto. That mm-hmm. There would be a lot more responsibility than in Detroit. But I, we've seen like little moments where he's like, man, I don't want to like, – why do I do this? I didn't do this in Detroit. And, <laughs> right. and the answer is – well, because you're not in Detroit. That's why you have to do it. Yeah. I mean, you're in Toronto, and, and part and parcel with that $50 million deal is like there's going to be a few more responsibilities that you might not like. Uh, but generally speaking, yeah. when you get him on, uh, in a quiet moment, I, you know, I don't, the press conferences, he delivers his message for public consumption, yeah. including his teams. Yep. And so I, I kind of take all that with a grain of salt. But when you get him off on his own, mm-hmm. and you get five or ten minutes when he's in a – in a good mood and willing to engage, then he's an incredibly bright guy, and you can learn a lot from even just ten minutes with him. I've heard him a few times snap back at guys about like, "Well, what do you think? Why are you asking me that?" Like he's not scared to come back at some media guys if if they sort of want to ask yeah. him a question and wrap their opinion into a question. He'll he'll come back at you. <laughs> so yeah, well, and you know what? I don't I don't ask questions in press conferences because right. I get to talk to him one on one. But if I did, and and a coach came back to me, I'd like to think I'd be like, "Well, this is why." Right. Right. And, 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 you know, if I have an opinion, I'm going to ask you about validating or mm-hmm. disagreeing with me, then I'm going to have to support it because, um, you know, but it's a, it's, a, it's a delicate balance for the media because yeah. you don't want to get into, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of battle with the coach because you're going to mm-hmm. come off looking small and it's probably not going to do you any favors in trying to deal with the organization and Mike Babcock in the future. So, right. um, yeah, there's, there's, there's times, there's times to, Put, dig your heels in and fight. And there's most of the time it's just to let him move Dude. along with his press conference because you're probably not going to get what you want anyways. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. it, it's it's yeah. it's a it's a give and take in Toronto media and the team and the coaches and all of it. It's a, it's a delicate dance they're always under. Do you get along with Lou a little bit better? College guys, you throw that at him. Hey, we're college guys. Hey, <laughs> hey I went to Bowling Green. I went to Bowling Green. Uh, you were uh, Providence you know or whatever what? he was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I I can't get anything out of Lou. I mean, I barely know Lou. <laughs> Um, like I say, hello, Mr. Like, like I don't even know if I'm supposed to call him Mr. Lamorello or not. Right, like I, I want right. to call him Lou. Like I'm a grown man. Yeah. Like I know yeah. you're my senior. And yeah. I respect you and what you've done, but like we're kind of colleagues, and I'm I'm sure. not a kid. Right. Uh, but I'm still kind of not sure if I'm it's, supposed to call him Lou or Mr. Lamorello. You could end up going um, missing if if you if you treat him the wrong way. <laughs> if I go the wrong way, and and like I I'm, I'm assuming he remembers me as a player because I played. You know, against yeah. his teams for you know the better part of a decade, six hundred games, but right? Yeah. yeah. He he. When he sees you as a media, like I remember, I did my first game in Brooklyn, 
Mm-hmm. And it was a Leaf Islander game. And so I was trying to find my little studio dressing room area that I could sit around in before I went between the benches. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been there. And I had a security guard walking me through the hallways back to my room. Right. And in this security guard's effort to take me on a direct line, I walked right through the Leafs, not their dressing room, but the hallway right outside. And guys yep. were doing their sticks right. and, and stretching and stuff. And Lou was there. And if if a look could kill, I would not be talking to right now. No way. He just <laughs> burnt a hole in me. He's like, what the hell are you doing back here, kid? Get out of here. And sure enough, I went, I found my room, uh-huh. went, went off to do something yeah. else, and yeah. ran into uh, one of the PR guys in the Leafs, and I, I related the story, and he's like, oh, no, no, Luke came and said, no more media walking through this hallway. No so, way. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's yeah. nothing that, uh, that that escapes Lou Lamorello. He is a control freak, and I think that's part of the reason why he was brought into Toronto to do just what he's done and, and create a different kind of culture and vibe. But um, so I don't have, I really, I really don't have any kind of relationship other than. Hello, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, that's, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, I have that's, another. Yes, that's, exactly. a, that, that's a good story. I like that. So, yeah, and he kicked everybody off the charters and all that, too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's Lou. Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's doing it his way. He does not care about anyone else's opinion except for the organization and the guys he works with. All right, we'll wrap this thing up uh, real shortly. I want to talk to you quickly about uh, your playing career. Paul Pocky podcast with Mike Johnson from uh, Sportsnet and the NHL Network. Um, oh, are you, st- are you going to New Jersey, I guess, for the, they moved everything to Jersey, right? For NHL network. Yeah. 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 I'm down in New Jersey right now. Oh, okay. um, I yeah, come yeah. down, not often, maybe once a month when I got a week off, I yep. come down for a couple of nights. Uh, uh, I like working in the studio. I like the NHL network. They were very good to me and, uh, yep. it's always fun to sit in there and soak up a night's worth of game. So yeah, I, I fly down, you know, once, maybe twice a month. Right. Right. Um, your playing career, Bowling Green, uh, came out of your free agent, um, the Leafs signed you. Was there a bit of a bidding war, and did you pick the Leafs? I mean, because how, that's how these kind of things happen once you guys decide to turn pro. Obviously, like you said, you love Toronto. You love playing there. So did it almost matter? Did they offer the most, and, and you were going there anyways, I guess? Um, it, it's a bit of everything. Uh, yeah. There was, fortunately for me, a bit of a bidding war because nice, I nice. was one of those found, found money kind of guys. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. drafted, and guys who were much better than me I remember Brendan Morrison, who had a great career right. in Jersey and Vancouver. He won the Hobie Baker Award. Mm-hmm. He was an incredible college player. Yep. And we were both seniors at the same time. We both left school at the same time. And I signed for whatever, four times as much money as him because <laughs> nice. he was drafted. And yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. Like, yeah. I got to uh, the benefit of, of um, you know, supply and demand chain and helping push my, right. my, my signing bonus up. Yep. Uh, but I think there were several teams, maybe – 10, 12 that we're going to pay the same amount of money. And while I love Toronto and I'm from Toronto, I picked the Leafs primarily because they were terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. because they sucked and they yep. needed right wingers. And that's what I played. And I thought looking at all the rosters and all the situations, um, where could I play and where I might have a chance to make the next year without having to play in the minors. And I thought my best chance was, was the Leafs. And that's really why I, I picked oh, okay. Toronto yeah, yeah. as much as I love my hometown and all the rest of it. Um, it was mostly just where was I going to get the best opportunity? Yep. And uh, between my agent and myself, we we thought it would be Toronto, and Dude. and I think it probably turned out to be correct because I didn't have to play in the minors, and I think just about any other organization, I would have. Well, it's crazy when you look at your career; you never played in the minors, never, not even like on a no. not even like on injury rehab or anything. So um, no, I mean I was lucky. I think I played. I left school and played thirteen games or something like that my yep. first year. I think that really prepared me mentally to not be intimidated to know that I could maybe play and skate in the NHL and, and give myself a chance. Cause really it was that first camp 
where there was no guarantee I was going to make the team. Yep. And it was incredibly likely that I might go down to St. John's back then, too, right. out to Newfoundland yeah. today, on the rock. So, right. um, like, that was probably the only training camp I went to in my entire career where, like, it's touch and go whether I make the NHL. And after that, I had a good first year, and I think I was relatively set yep. uh, for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, you know, I, I was, I, I take some heat from the guys who, some of the guys who had to play in the minors. But, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. was. I, I like to say my four years at Bowling Green were my time in the minors. Sure. Yeah, that's where I developed and got better, and I left school at 22. So I was a bit older than some of those young guys who played for the first couple of years in their 20s. Uh, you said you went to the Leafs when they were crappy, and they were they, you, you were you were right. They were. But they ended up, you know, Pat Quinn was there, and they ended up turning it around. It was a pretty good team. The uh, semifinals year, the 99 playoffs, you guys went into the semifinals mm-hmm. against Buffalo. As a Leaf fan, I was overjoyed because Hasek got hurt. So Rollison was coming yeah. in, and it was going to be on, yep. and then just, man, it was one of those things where I guess, I remember I was traveling at the time, so I didn't get to watch any games because I, uh, I was on the road back then as a mechanic, but um, Hasek really kind of stole the show, huh, once he came back? Well, you know what? We had it all set up for us. I mean, that was a mm-hmm. great year. One of the most fun times I've ever had playing hockey. Curtis Joseph came on the scene, Steve Thomas, some new guys, and, yep. and we, we, had a, we had a tremendous season. And so we got in the first round, and we played Philly, mm-hmm. and there was no Eric Lindros. We got through them. Yep. Got to the second round, we played Pitt, and there was no Mario. He was hurt. We yep. got through them. We got to the third round, and there was no Hashik to start. <laughs> right. And we're like, you know, like it, it's setting up for us. Now, I don't think there's any chance in the world we would have beat Dallas because right. they were that good. Pretty but good, yeah. um, you, kind of, you kind of don't even appreciate We had a lot of young guys that were good on that team. Like We had, we had Matt and we had Steve Thomas, but we had a lot of the – um, you know, Danny Markoff and Caberlays and Steve Sullivan's and yep. me and Alan McCauley and guys that just hadn't been around long enough to to, to appreciate what a neat opportunity mm-hmm. we were presented. But the first couple games, Dwayne Rolston played and we lost the first one. Yeah, and with him in net, and I think we scored four. I, yeah, it was a six six five or five four. It was a high scoring six, one. Five, yeah. yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a high scoring game, and 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 that was that was kind of the tipping point because the hashtag got back and he was great. And I would never put that series loss at all on Curtis Joseph because he was Cooge was the only reason we were in the third round. <laughs> yeah, the only reason. Yeah, he yeah. was so amazing that entire season, including the playoffs. But he played in that last series. If you were to ask him, he went from playing uh, otherworldly mm-hmm. in the first two rounds to just really good. Yep. And we we needed otherworldly. And had we got it, we might have gone through. But, right, right. Um, you know, Buffalo, whatever, they had our number a little bit, and they, they had it for the better part of a decade after that. Yeah, um, that's true. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Like, I remember my buddies talking about when we won the second round and Young Street, the Main Street Toronto, right. shutting down and cars, people running up and down and parading and high-fiving. And we had a pep rally after losing the third round. We didn't do anything. We didn't make the finals. Yeah, we had a pep rally at City Hall, and like 40,000 people showed up. Crazy, right? To say, th- yeah. to say thanks for coming, <laughs> like, fourth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was yeah. wild yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how, how passionate and into the city got. And it was, it was so much fun to be part of. I, it was uh, the most fun I've ever had playing hockey with Paul. It was that. Oh, I bet. Especially Toronto kid. And like you said, the city's just buzzing. Um, yeah, and talking it, about it made for a good summer. Yeah, and talking about Cujo too. Yeah, it, whether it was Cujo or Eddie Belfort, I think Pat Quinn's coaching style was yeah, just go out there, just press, 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 and hopefully our goalies can stop it. You know, um, I think that was more like his coaching style. You know what? But there was a, a, a and, and 
It, it almost was, but there was a bit of brilliance in that because okay. so many coaches coach the hell out of players. They yeah. want to X and O you to death. Right. And they want to control everything you do, every decision you make, because then they feel like they're in control of the outcome. Right. Whereas Pat trusted his guys enough to, and now you need the right kind of team and players to do this. Yeah. But trust is the guys enough to say, you know what? Go play. Like, we had a system in place, what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't so bubble hockey. You have to be right here, eight feet off the boards and nowhere else. It was like, see the play, read the play, make a play, and, and be smart about it. Mm-hmm. And I think we went my rookie year from being one of the worst teams in the league and the lowest scoring to my, the year in 99. I think we led the league in goals. Because Pat came in. We didn't add that many different players, but he mm-hmm. freed you up mentally to just go play and be the player that you probably thought you were growing up, and right, right, uh, and that, and it was a lot of fun to play because of that. Were you were you nominated for the Calder? I don't think so, huh? I was I was fourth, fourth, fourth okay, in the voting yeah. that year. Damn it! I remember. Yeah, uh, I, I, I still I still hold it over Patrick Eliash because he came. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to win, right? But Eliash came. Th- I wanted him to put the tux on and go to the party. Yeah, but uh, I think Eliash had thirty two points, thirty four points. And I had 47 or 48. Yeah, 47 like, and 82 like, games. Yeah. I got like 50% more points than you. Yeah, How yeah. are you getting a nomination because <laughs> you had 17 goals and I had 15? Like, what, what's going yeah, on yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Now, unquestionably, the, <laughs> if the voters were scouts, they had it right because he had a way better <laughs> career than I did. But, uh, yeah, no, I was disappointed not to be uh, at least third, to, to be able to go to the thing, even though I knew I wasn't going to win. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, fourth is not bad either. Right. I was on the all-rookie team, which, which yep. was bad. Yeah, um, how was Quinn? Intimidating? Was a nice guy. Uh, Jeff O'Neill's got Absolutely. some. Jeff O'Neill's got some hilarious Absolutely. stories about him not knowing, yeah. not knowing what the VCR was called. He called it a tape machine or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know. But he was yeah. uh, a really nice guy. He seemed like, but yet maybe some intimidating if he started yelling at you while he's having a cigar or something. So you know what? He didn't really yell at you though. No, he really didn't. No. I mean, he just he was un- he was completely intimidating. Yeah, to, to, you big know, guy. Twenty. Right. 24, 25. I mean, I was a, a board, you know, I was coming into a man. I wasn't yeah. a teenager, and um, he had a presence. He had a physical size to him, uh, but he, 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 you knew he wanted you to do well, and you knew that he would have your back. Now he might, you know, bitch and moan a little bit about you and the way you play mm-hmm. on the bench or behind closed doors, but in the media, in public, he never, he always supported his players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Always, always to a fault. He supported right, his players. Right. He never put it on you, which you grew to appreciate. Um, and I, I love playing for him because of what I talked about before. He let you play, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, I, I loved having him as a coach. But yeah, I remember you know him dropping the, the bad hips and. He dropped the cap of the marker, and he'd be there trying to pick it up. And meanwhile, talking, and, and he's struggling, and then couldn't get the cap back on the top of the marker, and we'd all be giggling in the room yes. while he's trying to diagram a play. And, right. and then he'd just walk off, and we'd break out in hysterics. And um, the kind of stuff that the, the juvenile stuff that only sports locker rooms yeah. can, can find entertaining for 200 days. Right. True. Uh, we certainly had our fair share of. Uh, Quinn moments like that. Do you think that even though he played in Toronto and he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, is it possible? And we touched on Sundine earlier, but man, this guy, to me, I hated the, the, the grief he got when he didn't want to be traded. I mean, I would have liked to, you know, for him to agree to come be traded and come back that summer. Um, so I hate it, but I hated the grief because this guy carried the team when there wasn't very many people around and he was so good. Watched him, watched almost all the games that he played in. Um, and you were with him, the really underrated guy. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, he was saddled playing with me. Like, who's <laughs> kidding you? My rookie year, I played with him for probably 60 games. Yeah. So, yeah, I get how great he was. He had 85 points playing with me. I mean, if that's not Hall of Fame worthy, I don't know what is. Stop it. You're a 20-goal um, guy. Stop it. Yeah, but. yeah. But he uh, he was a great teammate and a tremendous player. And um, and I, I think where he really showed his greatness is internationally. When he yeah. was surrounded by the very best players in the world and playing against the best, whether it was the World Cup or the Olympics or, or World Championships, he was the best player. Yeah. He wasn't the best Swede. He was the best player in the tournament when everyone got together, and that shows how great he was. Um, yeah, and a good teammate. I mean, there was, I've been around lots of guys where, uh, you know, if you don't give them a good pass and they're a great player or they're not happy with the way you perform because you're just not as good, you feel it. They may not say anything, right, but you, but feel, you it. feel it. You right. feel the, the energy coming off them, which is displeasure. <laughs> you never got that with him. Right. You never got the sense. And, like, my entire rookie year, he could have looked over me one day and be like, what the, yeah. the hell am I doing with this guy? Right. I was in college last year. He's never drafted. Yeah. I'm Matt Sundin, one of the best players in the world. I got this. Right. I got this guy. Um, I got this pylon beside me, but he never did. He made you feel important, and he made you feel like you had value. And I thought that was one of his best qualities as a captain. And, you know, we talked about Dion and Phil and the yeah. pressure of being a captain in Toronto. And he really dealt with them beautifully yeah. um, through bad teams and transitions and weird management shakeups and all of that. He was. Uh, and the fact oh. that. Go ahead. What I think is funny, and, and, and it's so hypocritical of fans. And I get fans, root word is fanatic, so they don't always have to make sense. Yeah. But yeah. fans always want, what do they want most out of their players? Loyalty. Mm-hmm. They want to love. They want them to love the team like they love the team. Right. They want them to take to care about the Leafs or whoever you play for, like we care about the Leafs. So there's Max who's saying, "I don't want to leave. I want to play here. I want to. Yeah. I want to finish what I tried to start. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't yeah. want to wear another jersey. And, and somehow, the, because it's no longer convenient for the, the organization or the organization's best interest to have him around. Now everyone's like, how selfish of him not to leave. I'm like, really? Yeah. All you ever want is loyalty. He's showing it to you, and now somehow that's a bad thing. <laughs> I think that's such a bum rap for players. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. You can't have guys dying to be there right. until you don't want them, and then they're supposed to just leave on their own. It's, uh, I never liked how that went down at the end of his time in Toronto. Oh, I hated it. I'm going to block out the Vancouver Canuck era, in my, especially when he came back yeah, to Toronto. Yeah. Especially when he came back to Toronto and got the shootout winner, too. I, I blocked that from my memory. He was so good down low. Like, he was such a big guy. His backhand, was, his backhand passes and shots were you know better than a lot of guys' forehands. He would get his ass stuck out, and he would just control the puck in the corner and then probably find Mike Johnson. It was... I watched him just yeah, you know, shoot it wide. Yeah, so no, he was, he, was, he was huge. He was a big man who played big. And yeah. he, you know, I know he wasn't overly physical in the sense he didn't hit and stuff, but when he had the puck and he protected him, he talked about that big rump he'd stick out. Yeah. He'd be like, yeah. I can't get it. Right. I'm just going to just have to just let you have it for a while because <laughs> uh, you're too big to get it off of. So because um, he, he was as graceful as he was on the ice and mm-hmm. as skilled, you maybe didn't appreciate his size, but – Trust me, playing against them when I left Toronto, you're yeah. like, man, I can't get the puck right now. <laughs> pass it to pass it to Ponikarovsky so I can have a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He had the he had the two twins, the Ponikarovsky and Antropovsky. Exactly. Uh, where were you when you got traded? How did you find out? You talked about how much it hurt and how much it, it sucked for you as a Toronto guy. Where were you? Did you think you were going? Did anybody give you a heads up, or how was that? Uh, I had no idea. I was uh, just, it was just after the all-star break and we were about to play our first game and I was just shutting down for my nap and 
Uh, usually my phone would be turned off, but for whatever reason it wasn't. And mm-hmm. Pat Quinn called about two in the afternoon, and and I was kind of in a sleep. I picked up the phone, and th- this is a verbatim version of what happened. <laughs> hey, Mike, it's Pat Quinn. Hey, Pat. Uh, uh, listen, Mike, uh, we made a trade here. Um, you know, to get, to get a player, we got to give a player. So uh, you're going to Tampa. Thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed having you around, and and good luck. Okay. It's <laughs> so weird. But, I mean, that's how quick it was. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm like. I hung up the phone. I'm barely awake, and all I could think of was, "What team did he say?" I don't even remember <laughs> don't... what team he said. I, I have no idea where I'm getting traded, right. and I'm like, "I'm like, is Boston? Do you see Boston?" I couldn't remember. So, um, you know, I got on got on the phone right away. Called my parents; they're both at work. Right. Called my sister; she's at work. Called my buddies; he's there at work. Called my agent; he's busy at work as well. And so I sat there for like 20 minutes, thinking. What the hell what, do I do now? What team? Where am I'm I going? There. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Don't know what's happening. Don't know the protocol. And uh, then finally, I think it was Jay Feaster from from Tampa called me and, and welcomed me to the organization. But yeah, it was it was um, yeah it was a shock, and it was it was a crappy couple of days waiting for my work visa before I could leave Toronto to go pl- to play in the states. Right, and, right. And get out of the dirty get out of the Darcy Tucker loving that was occurring. Oh, like, I get out yeah, yeah, City. yeah. People love this guy too much. Who I, who I joke with now because he lives like a block away from me. Uh, we see each other all the time, and he's a terrific guy, but, man, did I just like him for getting <laughs> traded for him. <laughs> yeah, I know. I bet, right? Um, last question for you. Uh, thanks for your time on the Paul Pocky Podcast. You were coached by Wayne Gretzky, which is – and I read mm. your Slapshot Diary story a little bit of, uh, on com, but um, that would have been just awesome. I don't know if I could have done it. I, I just would have been like, Wayne, tell me about Messier. Tell me about Grant Fuhrer. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and the, but yet he's yelling at you, and he's getting – you know, the team wasn't that good. It it must have been surreal though, just to have. And I I went to a game. I was at, I, I lived in Anaheim. I was a, a partial season uh, season ticket holder for the Ducks. We went to some Phoenix games, and my memory of him is he's freaking out behind the bench. He's yelling his face off, and I'm like, whoa, Wayne's really mad. Who knew he had that in him? Yeah, that's some of my memories of him coaching me as well. Is him <laughs> freaking out? Yeah, no, he was. He was incredibly in, intense and right? emotional and passionate. Wow. And I think yeah. I, res, I almost respected that because he knew every camera was on him mm-hmm. every time he coached. Yep. And he didn't care. He was so emotionally invested in the outcome of the game that he would be screaming at us, at the refs, at the other team, you <laughs> name it, because he, he was such a competitor, which I almost respected, even though I'm like, man, you're like, like coach us, man. Right. Don't worry about what the other team's doing. Yeah. But, um, but you know what? And it really was. And, like, Wayne was my favorite player growing up. And, you know, I looked up to him. And, you know, I was born in 74, so I was 10 years old when he was his greatest. We're actually, was, we're actually, he was uh, the guy. We're one day I off. watched hockey uh-huh. my way a thousand times so I could <laughs> learn how to throw a saucer pass. I mean, it's, I, I, he was the guy to me. But yeah. after the first month, the second he takes you off the power play, <laughs> he's just another coach that you don't like. You're like, man, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. This guy sucks. Uh, but the second, he, the second he puts you back in the power play in the first line, you're like, yeah, this guy's the greatest ever, obviously. <laughs> right. he's, he's a brilliant hockey yeah, line. Clearly. It, you know, you, everything is framed through how your existence is. But yep. looking back, being able to be on the ice with him, you know, he'd jump into drills at the end of practice. And you're like, man, I'm on a two-on-one right now with Gretz. He's going to float me a sauce. Like, come on. <laughs> right. He doesn't get any better than this. I bet. Um, you know, on the planes, on the buses, you know, the odd time where we'd have won a couple games in a row, which didn't happen that often. He'd be like, all right, boys, let's go. We'll lobby 10 minutes. We're going out. We're like, yes. 
I don't feel like going out at all, but Gretz just said we're going for a beer, so God damn it, I'm, I'm showing up. I'm rolling I'm with Gretz, beer, right? So I'm rolling with Gretz. I'm going with the G-man, and we're going wherever he takes us. So um, <laughs> it was amazing. And, um, yeah, like, you know, it was his first time coaching, and, I, you know, he was learning as he went as well. From I went, I had one year as a coach. From all reports, he was uh, improved in his second year, not surprisingly. Um, yeah, the the tough. It was, qu- yeah, it was the, great to have him around. It was great to be around him. The tough question I have for you, and, and I would hate to. For, it, was he any good as a coach? You know, like was he? Or, you know, sometimes great players they don't know that. Yeah. You know, they don't know yeah. how you guys why you guys can't see that dude. You know, over your shoulder. Right, but yeah, I, you're, yeah. There's no question. He had moments like that. A quick little story. Listen, I mean, it takes practice to be great at anything, and just yeah. because you're great playing hockey and can see the game at levels nobody else could, um, there's still more to that than in running a team and running a bench and running practice and all those things. And I think he was learning on the fly. He was better than most would have been out of the gate, but he was still learning on the fly and got better the year I was with them and got better the years following. But mm-hmm. we had a practice. And our coaches were Rick Tockett, Gretz, Grant Fuhr was our goalie coach, Paul Coffey was our power play coach, <laughs> and Barry Smith from Detroit. Right. So nothing but greatness on our bench. Yeah, we were yeah. doing a drill, and it was one of those throwaway drills. We are doing three-on-ones, uh-huh. and Gretz like, okay, boys, just you know, do it. Next line, shuffle in. If you don't score, break it out and go down against the next three-on-one. We're going to do it until we score 12 goals. Yep. So now Gretz is thinking 12 goals will take maybe – 14 rushes. I mean, like, they're going to score everything. Right, three on ones. Right, exactly. It it must have taken us like 15 minutes. (laughs) And and so when you didn't score, you'd come back to sit on the bench. Yeah. And and it was one of those moments, like, where Gretz is sitting beside us and he's just just shaking his head. And he's thinking, I don't have any idea how these guys can't score on this because this is the easiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And my God, you guys suck. He wasn't saying it, but he he was feeling it. And that, and that's what you're talking about. Great players, right. like we're we're just having trouble doing things that would have been the easiest things for him to do. Power play entries and stuff that we had struggled with, and he was just like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, uh, no worries, I got this. He's so, like, hey, yeah, coffee. I mean, there was that. Yeah, he's like, yeah, hey, hey co- coffee, coffee, and talk it. Grab sticks. Let's show these guys what's up. Yeah, <laughs> right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, easier said than done when we can't do what you guys did. But yeah. Uh, all, I mean, a great experience. One of the highlights of my career. Uh, for sure. I bet. I admire his passion. Like I said, like I'm like, dude, you're Wayne Gretzky, and he's freaking out. And you, which mm-hmm. yeah, tells you how much he was into it. You know what I mean? So, um, mm-hmm. thank you for doing this, Mike. I appreciate it. You gave me more time than uh, than I asked for, and I really, really appreciate it. It's fun stuff. Good stories. Uh, Sportsnet and NHL Network. Mike Johnson, former NHLer, of course. Uh, Paul Pocky podcast. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk soon down the road. Thank you. All right, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks. Bye.